Yeah, sure. All right. Five, four, three, two. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. I'm Sam Harrelson. So um, we're going to hit some politics stuff again, as we do like every week. <laughs> but apparently people don't like this. This is what well, I'm learning. It's right? not that they don't like it. It's not that they don't like it. I mean, you know, our, our listener numbers are not suffering, but I've had people comment who are longtime listeners of the show that, oh, well, we just kind of listen to the politics stuff until you guys get into the existential stuff about life or philosophy or angels or, you know, whatever. And it's like worth suffering through the politics stuff to get to that, which is kind of a, you know, it's kind of flattering in some yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, as a professor, you know, right. It's, it's like when a kid has to sit there and listen through your boring lecture on, you know, the Nicene Creed in order to get to the good stuff that happens afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, the question is like, I don't know if my, most of my students ever think like there's good stuff coming, <laughs> you know, like the students in my class this semester, it's different because it's a class on sex. So like everything we do is interesting pretty much. So um, can we, do you, do you want to talk about that? Can we talk about it? Can we talk about my class? Yeah, we can talk about yeah. my class. So how, I mean, how's it going? You've got this audacious syllabus. <laughs> it is that, pretty audacious that, isn't it? <laughs> that you let me see. And I, I did some reading and, and I haven't read like half the stuff on there, but um, if that, you know, but I'm, and I guess I should say I have, I'm not familiar with half the stuff on there. So for me, you know, it's been digging it, digging in a uh, bit by bit. And I imagine like a, for, for a 20 year old that that stuff is mind bending to think about kind of the philosophical aspects of gender identity and, you know, sexual power or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so, and I threw them into the deep end to start. Um, and then I eased off a little bit, but basically it was like, well, if you can handle this, then you'll be fine for the rest of the class. But we started out with uh, Foucault and uh, Lacour doing like theory, like just, I mean, like hard hitting, like French sociological theory on gender, like, you know, wow. the existence of gender and the relationship between gender and sex and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, I threw them into the deep end at the beginning, but I mean, it's, I think it's great. I mean, there, and there's different schools of thought, right? Do you start with kind of easy stuff and then do you theorize it later? And I thought this is an upper level seminar class. We're going to theorize it at the beginning, and then we're going to apply the theory to the text that we read later. You know, I, it's the model that I chose this, this particular semester. And I think, it, I think it's worked so, well so far. So officially the title is sex and sexuality in early Christianity. And so, you know, as, as broadly construed as possible. So we've talked about, you know, we've theorized sex. Uh, we've talked about uh, conceptions of sex in the ancient world. Uh, so like a one sex model versus a two sex model, um, we had a whole unit on homoeroticism. Um, we've talked about martyrdom texts, which are just fantastic treasure troves for um, gender issues and questions that kind of come up in the way that particularly female martyrs are often masculinized in certain ways. But then they're also simultaneously feminized because you can't let them get like too good because your text has to... Ad at the same time say even our women are more manly than your pagan men. Right. But while it's saying that it has to be able to say to the Christian women, no, you still need to be like 
you know, good and womanly and, you know, practice these womanly virtues. Right. So it's kind of, right. So it's kind of policing like inside it's, it's talking to outsiders and simultaneously policing insiders. So anyway, so we talked about martyr text. We've, we've talked about uh, sexual slander, right? So, you know, accusations of orgies and things like that, which are always fun and infant cannibalism, because who doesn't love a little, you know, some good infant cannibalism. Um, <laughs> well, and so much of that still yeah. happens today with the sexual slander and with the insider language, outsider language, you know? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, right. So there's a great example. I mean, like everything comes back to politics, but I, I think I've gotten so I'm so like wrapped in politics these days because of what I do academically with like heresy, orthodoxy, identity claims, because it's like modern day American politics is such a perfect metaphor, I think. Or That's you know, a great point. That's example. a great point. But yeah. like, so if you think about like the fingers thing, right? Donald Trump's fingers, right? Goes all the way back to the spy magazine issue, you know, decades ago, talked about him, you know, the short fingered vulgarian. And then just this past week, um, was it this past week? Yeah. You have Marco Rubio saying, well, you know what they say about guys with small fingers, right? This kind of insinuation, right? It's definitely, it, it's definitely um, supposed to be a joke about the size of Donald Trump's genitalia. And he lets it sit there for a second in the silence. Everybody laughs like, Ooh, and then they, and then he says something else like he's not a good, they're not good leaders or some, whatever, but he definitely wanted people to think Donald Trump has a small penis. Okay. So yeah, it's, it, I mean, even in American politics, maybe, maybe we're not a- accusing people of orgies and infant cannibalism, though sometimes though, you I do mean, have co- uh, accusations like that, but you do still get the sexual slander going on in these identity politics. I mean, it's just, it's just great. Or, you know, Miley Cyrus is a, you know, yeah, you know, the S word, right? Like, like, uh, you know, uh, gosh, I can't believe Lady Gaga dresses like that. Or, you know, David Bowie, who was such a homo, you know, like those, right. those identifications that are meant to, like you said, you know, slander them. Um, but I mean, you so know, it, yeah, we got a lot of other topics. So we're doing like marriage and divorce stuff as well, because that's related. Uh, clerical celibacy. Um, we've dealt some recently with like, general asceticism or renunciation, but we're about to go into monasticism. Um, and then let's see what else we've got. Uh, we're of course going to do a little section on uh, carpocratianism because that's my baby. Um, <laughs> I did write a whole dissertation on it. So, your baby. <laughs> so we're going to spend one class at least talking about it. Um, so yeah. And then we're going to do like ascetic uh, interpretations of scripture and things like that. Um, so All yeah, right, so, I mean, so do you think- it's been. I think it's gone really well, and I think the students, for the most part, have enjoyed. It's a small class. We sit in a circle each day, and we just talk about what we read. That's great. I love those classes it, when when people participate. Right. I mean, as a student, that was the worst thing in the world when you had a class where people weren't really doing the reading, but or if you hadn't done the reading. Yeah. Um, I took a theological anthropology class at Yale, and I uh, was such a terrible student in that class. And I feel so bad now because I still have those books and I go back to them so often because those themes pop up now that I'm 37 and not right. <laughs> 22. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I was a terrible member of that seminar, but um, so, so would you say that Hillary Clinton is sort of like a modern day Thecla in the sense that she is held up as this, grandmother who's caring and whatever for the insiders in some way, but then also she's, you know, she's fierce Hillary Clinton, leader of the free world who can stare down Vladimir Putin and she could be attacked by electrocuting sea lions or whatever killed Thecla. 
Right. Right. Or, or did, they sell sea lions yeah. in a pool? Killed, killed the sea lions. Yeah. She baptized. It's 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 one of my favorite scenes in the in the the acts of Paul and Thecla, where she's like, basically, this is it. I'm gonna baptize myself into this pool of ravenous seals. And everybody's ravenous like, seals, no, it? don't do it. And I'm like, I didn't even know seals were ravenous, right? I've seen some translations of sharks, but I'm also like, where are they going to get sharks? Like seals seem a lot easier to transport in the ancient world. Anyway, so it's full of ravenous seals and like the whole crowd is freaking out and she does it. But then as soon as she hits the water, like a flash of lightning kills all the seals. She baptizes herself. So Poor yeah, seals. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really interesting analogy to make because you do have with Hillary Clinton uh, simultaneously this uh, breaking of barriers kind of uh, larger than life, this kind of like great warrior for um, women and children around the world. Um, But then at the same time, still kind of adhering to certain societal standards, right? Which you have some with Thecla as well. Uh, And then other kind of females and some of these uh, similar type, um, text in the ancient world so it's yeah it's not a bad analogy yeah so saint paul would be kind of like bill clinton who was you know he was the messenger and he had this exceedingly large influence on this young chaste virtuous woman you know who went out and did her own thing but sort of in paul's shadow but but not really right because paul is like actually she's like i'm ready i'm gonna follow you and then paul's like um you're really beautiful uh, so I'm worried you might get tempted again because she was like engaged when she first hears Paul's preaching and then it's like, oh, I'm going to give all this up and I'm going to go live this kind of, you know, virginal chase life and I'm going to follow Paul. There's all this sexual tension too in the story between Paul and Thecla. Um, but at the end, she's kind of like, she's looking for Paul and looking for Paul and looking for Paul. And then she baptizes herself, kind of comes into her own. And at the end, she comes back to Paul and it's basically like, what now? Like, I've been doing this. And then Paul's like, okay, yeah, like, this is great. We're going to let you do this as if it was his idea. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think Barnabas kind of split, you know, early in Acts. He's like, okay, Paul, whatever. I'm, I'm going to go Done now. And, yeah. <laughs> you can have, uh, you know, this Mark guy. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, so do you, yeah. what, what's, okay, both your dissertation and like this class and, I mean, a lot of our conversations have to do with these themes of, of gender and identity and sexuality and, and sexual slander or, um, you know, even even down to things like roles and monasticism and, and yeah. those areas. I, I'm always interested in, in what attracts people to study, you know, certain specific things like that. So what do you, why are you fascinated by sort of early, mid, late antiquity you know, Christian, you know, not always Christian, pagan, um, sexual gender issues. I mean, is that something that, that really fascinates you or did you just kind of stumble into that? I'm just looking for justification for my orgies and my infant cannibalism. <laughs> yeah. You right? know, I mean, that's, that's how we all come reveal, to our, right. our topics of study. <clears throat> so no, it's a good question. So I think when I was doing my master's and writing my uh, master's thesis, I was interested in kind of these questions of identity. And I wrote my master's thesis on um, Paul's use of the term Israel, um, which I look back on it now and I'm like, why did I ever choose to write on that? Like, you know, 
a hundred thousand people that have written you were writing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but so, but still, like, interested from a sociological perspective, you know, which I the last chapter was kind of sociological, and the earlier bits of the master's thesis were more kind of historical and textual. Um, but I really got interested in, from a sociological perspective, like how do these claims of identity work with, um, like. I'm going to say like, we're Israel now, like you no longer get to claim that. And I had no idea what I was getting into at the time. And then from that, I kind of moved into claims of heresy and orthodoxy because they're still identity claims. And then within claims of heresy and orthodoxy, the things that are just most interesting to me are the ones that deal with sex. And so that's how I got into sexual slander. And out of that is, that's how I got my dissertation topic, writing on a group that I, that I wrote on that, you know, they are the recipients of uh, charges of heresy and accusations of sexual slander by basically every single person that writes about him for a thousand years. Um, so it's kind of like, what can we learn from this? What's going on sociologically? What can the way that these people are talking, right? Say the way the fourth and fifth century people are talking about this group from the second century. What can that, that actually doesn't tell us much about the second century, but it tells us a whole lot about the fourth and fifth century, right? In the same way that the way that politicians today talk about our founding fathers doesn't actually tell us anything about our founding fathers. It tells us something about the contemporary battles that our politicians are fighting. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's, that's essentially kind of how I got into it. I mean, maybe if I saw a therapist, they would talk about kind of, you know, some rep <laughs> repressed sexuality that I have or so I don't I mean, that's, that's right. likely that that has something to do with it too. Yeah. We, I, I could go totally young again on you, but I won't do that. Right, yeah. So how does that make you feel, Tom? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love young. Uh, so how, it, this is becoming a popular, or it is a popular topic now, at least in kind of the insider academic world. And I see that spreading out to, you know, more and more courses and, you know, the, kind of my way outside the, the academy. But, you know, I see my friends who are professors on Facebook talking about this and, and them talking with their students about this. And as we enter this brave new world in 2016 of, of people being aware of, um, differences and, and similarities and, and the notions of, you know, Hey, we can't just say all black people think this or all white people think this, right. um, you know, as we kind of wake up to that reality of reality, uh, do, do you see this being something that is going to kind of remain popular or is it just a passing fad? I mean, is this the historical Jesus of religious studies at the moment, or do you think this is going to be something that influences and, and has longevity in, in terms of so you finding a position and that kind of thing? Well, yeah, I don't know if it's going to have any influence on whether I find a position <laughs> or not, but that'd be great if everybody just happened to get interested in what I'm interested in right now and want to hire somebody that does it. I'm an expert in this, so you should hire me. Um, so, so do you mean like the question of sex stuff or the broader question of identity stuff? I don't know. What do you, I mean? Uh, well, so sex is, sex is interest. Sex is popular, right? Because we have this idea that sex sells, which, I mean, I do think there's some data to back that up. Um, so, I mean, there's that, uh, there's also right from a Foucauldian sense, um, we are, well, within the Academy one, you can see the influence of Foucault. Um, and from that we can, we recognize, Hey, like all sex is power, right? Like, all sex is about power. Um, and so we're kind of talking about that, but there's also, you have to deal with kind of post-structuralism as well. That is 
not just rampant in the academy, but also rampant kind of or becoming more widespread in the world today. Even if people aren't thinking about it in in that sense, we're kind of past structuralism and we're realizing that categories are not necessarily categories are mapped onto the world and that in a sense they are creating the world. They are no I think we're realizing now that the, like the identities that we have, the categories we have are not just mere ways of talking about reality, right? We're not looking at the world and just describing it. And instead, when we think we're describing it, we're actually creating the world. And I, and I think this is maybe a little bit easier for a lot of people to understand now because of the conversations we've been having about sexuality, about gender identity and things like that over the past, I don't know, decade or so. I mean, some of us have been having this a lot longer, but kind of in the popular imagination the past five to 10 years. Um, there, so I think when we have little things like that, um, small areas the, where people can understand kind of the fluidity, fluidity of identity, but also the kind of politics of identity as well, um, then I, I think that makes it easier for them to see the world in this way. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't know. I tell my students, like, once you see the world this way, you can't unsee it. Right. right. So I drive right. into a state park in Florida and outside of every single state park in Florida, there's a sign that says, welcome to the real Florida. And all I want to do is talk about, you know, the classification that's going on there, like the politics involved in calling this the real Florida, as opposed to what's 10 feet on the other side of the sign. Right. I mean, there's so like, so, so I can't unsee it now. Um, so it probably means that all I have is a hammer. And so the whole world's a nail, right? That's probably what <laughs> all it you means. have is a penis. So everything, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't know. I mean, it might be, it might be a fad um, questions of identity, but identity studies have certainly um, developed and, and a, there's still some what's being, you know, identity stuff that's being done. That's like, like historical stuff. That's trying to say like, let's, when they talk about identity, they're trying to um, find like specific different groups. And that's obviously not what I'm doing and what a lot of other people are trying to do. Um, so I think in that regard, kind of identity studies on the whole has um, uh, developed and matured some. But also, I mean, I, I think you can't talk about it without talking about the influence of French sociology on the American Academy over the past 30 or 40 years which is not something that like most people are going to talk about or think about, but it's something that you see not only in the academics, but also in their students, right? Because so right. And Carrie Schroeder has talked about this, right? A friend of the show um, did a fantastic, had her on the show a while back. Um, She's talked about this before. Like we are all like teachers or we are public intellectuals. Like, so we talk about public intellectuals, like people that are on, you know, CNN and Discovery Channel and stuff like that. But we're public intellectuals in that we are engaging with the public, with students every single day, right? And we're kind of shaping the way that students view the world very much. And so if you think about it in that regard, you can kind of see how the ideas are permeating out into the at least college educated portion of the country. Well, it goes back to that idea. Um, Like like at Wofford College where I went, uh, they have all these great posters or you know, pictures that have been blown up uh, from the late 1800s, early 1900s, when in that part of Spartanburg, South Carolina, there wasn't a whole lot to do for entertainment. So on like dissertation days or, or when people would go present their um, 
you know, their, their sort of final project, I guess, or right. paper or whatever, uh, the students, it became like a town event and everyone would go listen to these people and they could ask questions of the students. And, you know, it was kind of a, a cool idea of, of opening that up to the public. And, you know, they, they would, it would go on for days and there were picnics and, you know, it was kind of that's, a carnival That's atmosphere. pretty much how my dissertation defense went out. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like Bonnery for doctor or yeah. for professors, right? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I, it, I'm telling you, we, we should do this, Thomas. We could totally set up an event that's that's kind of like the Bonnery for doctors or, you know, people are becoming professors. And, uh, well, you know, we could do it for med schools too, but we could start with the religious studies world and we could travel around and, you know, have... Uh, have like food service and then we could have, you know, a couple of like kitty rides cause you're gonna have kids and then, you know, adult beverage things. It could work. I mean, it's, it's a business model in the, in the, in the wings. I like but, it. I like a Bonnaroo for academics. I, I like yeah, it. There you go. Uh, so, so that's, that's fascinating that you talk about how, what you all are doing in, in the Academy seeps out to the public, not as rapidly, which is ironic, you know, in the world of social media and Facebook and, Twitter and those places where it's, you know, you can write to your favorite celebrity and Kanye might retweet you right. or whatever, or Donald Trump, if you're a fascist. Uh, <laughs> or a white supremacist. Your odds right. go up exponentially. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, Mussolini. yeah, but um, yeah, it is slow, but it, I mean, you're, you're very much, you're, you're changing the way people view the world. Okay. So that's what I was going to say. There's, there's a, a, a major uh, outreach of the Southern Baptist Convention here in South Carolina called New Spring. And you're familiar with New Springs, yes, um, yes. and they have church or campuses. They call them all over the, the state, uh, led by a guy named uh, Perry Noble, who I know pretty well. You know from from that. I don't know him personally. We've never had beers, uh, but you know, seems like a nice guy, very vivacious, young, uh, up and coming church leader. And last, I just looked this up because I saw the signs around town, and I thought that's interesting. But it had kind of a play on the Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, yeah, symbol, you know, and same font and all that stuff. But the, the, the billboards were sex. It doesn't have to be gray. So he did a month long series and they did workshops during the week and all this stuff about sex. Um, so the, the little quick little paragraph here on their website, and, and you can go back now and watch all the sermons. This was last April and May was sex is everywhere in magazines, on TV, on social media, our culture loves talking about it, but God created sex as a gift but how can we understand sex as a blessing when there's so much hurt and brokenness attached to it? Uh, so join us for our series. So they had, they did uh, one week on the blessings of sex, one week on the boundaries of sex, which would be interesting. Uh, one week on the burden of sex, which, you know, I complain about all the time. And <laughs> last about, <laughs> not again, and the last about the brokenness of sex. So um, I'm, I'm pretty positive that I could, I could sit down right now and write sermons for all of those seri- all those Sundays that sound eerily similar to what he would write. Yeah, so I, I've watched a couple. Like, not just, because you know, I would like. I'm just saying, like I know what the kind of line is. Not right, that, right, right. And I would write the same thing, but well, and, and you grew up in that in that right, world, yeah. yeah. And, and Marianne did too, and we talked about this, and, uh, and I was like, hey, you should do this at, at your church. <laughs> she, yeah, she said no, even though that's where most of our conversations end up in Sunday school because of our quirky little Sunday school group. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought that was fascinating that a, a major, you know, kind of new wave church, you know, uh, with drums and guitars would use that vehicle 
uh, for a series like that. I thought that was really interesting. So, yeah. and it goes back to what you're saying. Well, yeah, like we said, sex sells, right? I mean, that's, and I mean, certainly not the first time that a church has done a series on sex, but there's also this idea of, uh, particularly right now, I think a lot of people kind of in that vein, right? Kind of the, the you know, Southern Baptist vein, um, evangelical vein, which I don't know if we want to talk about that or not, but um, I think there is a legitimate concern post 60s sexual revolution of we have to kind of take the narrative back and make, you know, let people know that we don't think sex is bad and we're not like completely against sex. Um I mean, this is kind of their their line of thinking, and they view sex however they view it. And you know, I don't think they are completely against sex. They have, certain, you know, they think it should be done within certain confines and all this stuff, and only with certain people. Um, but I do think there's that, like, and this is a kind of, I don't know if it's like a an attempt or whatever to be hip or modern. Like, hey, yeah, like we think sex is cool too. Um, but I can remember, like, growing up as a youth. Like every single time you went to camp or whatever, you had to hear the white male preacher, because it was always a white male preacher, talk about how hot his wife was. Whether or not his <laughs> wife was actually hot or not, and often There's included a... a picture of his wife when he's talking about how hot his wife Isn't is. Isn't she hot? Isn't she hot? Y'all clap <laughs> right. for my wife. Right. Uh, there, talk there was about a, uh... how great the sex is. Right. right, but it's only great because because they both waited till they got married, and you know, like married sex is super super hot sex, and everybody that's married is like, wait, what are you talking to? Like, huh? But you know, this is like the this is the line, right? Like our sex is better than what the world has to offer. Um, so but yeah, it's kind of a trying to take back the the uh, conversation a little bit. There was a uh, famous. Um, you know, before every NASCAR race, we have an invocation to Jesus. Yes, I know. Mostly Jesus. You know, sometimes they'll just say God, but even in New Hampshire, they say Jesus. Um, and, and this guy, this was at uh, Nashville, I believe, at the now defunct Nashville Speedway. And he, in his invocation, he talked about, you know, thank you, God, for blessing us with NASCAR and barbecue and Confederate flags. And thank you, God, for especially blessing me with my smoking hot wife. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's it became a meme for a little while as you know at least in our little nascar yeah. world so there, there's a link down in the show notes if you want to entertain yourself people have made songs out of it it's it's fantastic um well that's i mean uh, there's so many directions we can go with that in, in terms of thinking about the the nature of how certain groups want to lay claim to things so for instance, like, um, you know, on, on the Democrat side, we, we see these back and forth between the hashtag I'm with her people, you know, like Hillary's yeah. fandom, the fan club, and, and the Bernie bros, which don't really exist, but, you know, the hardcore Bernie people. And you get these clashes, and it's those of us kind of in the middle that are like, whoa, you know, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're both wrong, but let's talk about this. Um, well, we saw okay. we saw it actually really explicitly a couple of weeks ago with the the fight that lasted for a few days over who's a true progressive and who's not, right? Right. right. So it's yeah. This, so Bernie it's, was saying right, Hillary's not a true progressive, and then right, and he had this whole like tweet storm about like, well, a true progressive wouldn't do this, like things that Hillary did or whatever. Yeah, but it, it is. It's like so it's laying claim to a particular identity um, that has some sort of cultural capital. Even if it's in just a subculture, it has some sort of cultural capital and you have to claim it. And in claiming it, you have to make sure that your opponents are not able to claim it. 
So do you do you think this is giving any rise? That's probably an unfortunate pun given the nature <laughs> of our talk. Do you think this is giving giving uh, any credence to this idea that evangelicalism doesn't really exist? You know, and it's kind of a media created thing that it's playing off of. I think more of a political tone than a than a religious tone. Because you walk in any church, and and people might say, "Yeah, I'm an evangelical." with no understanding of what that means, but they're supposed to say that because that's what the media has told them to say. Right. Um, um, so what I like would we say, say oh, we're in the Northern hemisphere, even though there's no North or South, right. right. But yeah. you know, we've been taught to believe this. Right. That's um, what, that's my point. Like we are creating the world, right? right we're not exactly. describing the world. We are creating the world when we talk about it. Yeah. And the, yes, the observer determines the outcome of the experiment. Yes, exactly. Right. We, if we want to talk about it from a, whatever that is like subatomic level, right. We can do that right. as well. Uh, quantum physics. That's what I was going to say. There we go. From, yep. from a quantum physics level, whatever that is. Um, that's your area. That's obviously not my area. But yeah, exactly. Um, so yes, I would say there is no such thing as evangelicalism. I would also say, and I do say often, there is no such thing as Christianity. Like all there are, there are claims about what this signifier means and then claims to the signifier. And so there are claims to evangelicalism, and then there are fights over what it means. And what I think is interesting is looking at the fights, looking at the different claims that are made, looking at how they benefit certain groups, and looking at the power and the politics involved in that. Because it's not just um, which definition wins, because what you have to look at to figure out which definition wins is who gets to determine which definitions count. Right. right, and so, so back up so before, before we get there, and in, in, infused in all of this. Yeah, it's before we go down that path of of figuring out who gets to win. When you say there is no such thing as Christianity, unpack that just a little bit for for people who might not have. Yeah, so there is there is no there is no essence that is Christianity, and people will disagree on this. Right, people will say, "Well, you know, Christianity means this, this, or to be a Christian, you have to A, B, and C." But somebody else may say to be a Christian, you have to D, E, and F, right? And so everybody has these competing definitions of what Christianity means or what Christianity is. But there is no um, thing outside of us that gives us a definition of Christianity. I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail for this one. Um, no, no. I mean, but, uh, yeah. So, so I'm thinking of, of the, you know, the old parable of the seven blind people who are touching the elephant, you know, and yeah. one person feels an ear and says, Oh, this is some, some kind of floppy thing. One person feels the tail and says, no, this is like a whip. And, you know, person feels the leg and it's, Oh, this is a clearly a tree trunk. Um, which is my favorite character on adventure time yeah. tree trunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I made some pie. It's, it's a good show. Um, all right. So can, can there be such a thing as Christians or can you be a Christian? Well, certainly like I have no, I have no problem with insiders making claims right, or adherents making claims. Um, but, but like, so you're saying like in, in a platonic essential state, like if right. humans were to disappear from the face of the earth, well, if human brains were to disappear from the face of the earth and we couldn't process anything, but everything that we had done still exists which is a crazy awesome sci-fi novel. Uh, Christianity as a thing would not be a thing because it's a human construct based on right. agreement of humans. Yeah, exactly. 
Right, it's the same like with like with money. Like why why are the paper things that we carry in our wallets, which sometimes we do now, sometimes we don't, like why does that count as money? It only counts as money because everybody agrees that it counts on money. And there are there are discrepancies over this, right? Some people say, well, you know, it needs to be backed up by gold standard. Some people say, no, it can be completely digital like Bitcoin and still count. Right. So there are still discrepancies over this, you know, but but there is no such thing. There's no essential thing that is money. That's. I mean, this is a fascinating topic to me. I, I just watched a couple of YouTube videos like earlier this week um, at 3 a.m., which is a great time to watch YouTube videos yeah. about philosophical things uh, about the, the nature of math. The is the right time. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's it's when daddy gets his alone time, yeah. you know, and the baby's asleep, mommy's asleep, daddy can sit down and code and not have to, you know, or, or do invoicing. Um, so one of the one of the videos I'll post down in the show notes. I forgot the creator at the moment, but he was it was a he I believe talking about math and how math itself is not something that actually exists. And it, it, this is a, a very controversial thing right now in, in the sort of philosophy of science world or philosophies of science. Um, you know whether or not science or, or these things that we have constructed exist. Uh, and his whole take was kind of this deconstructive philosophical point of view that basically laid out what you're saying. You know, it's a human construct to describe these things in nature, but they don't necessarily exist outside of our brains. And therefore, you know, we can say that something is so many parsecs from earth, or we can say that, you know, this thing is, or, you know, two plus two is four, but does two plus two equals four really exist in nature without humans agreeing upon that? Oh, no, I mean, it's the same thing. All right. I mean, it's why we would also, I would also say like, there's no such thing as religion. Right. Because when you look at like, first of all, you, I mean, there are all, there are countless examples. Um, uh, Tomoko Masazawa wrote a fantastic book called the inventions of world religions, the invention of world religions. Um, that's great. Uh, Jason Josephson, I think it was. Uh, wrote a great book called The Invention of Religion in Japan. Um, so there's some really good books on this. And basically, so if you take the, um, if you take these examples, you see that like, well, you know, Japanese, for instance, doesn't have a concept for religion. Um, they don't have a, a word for it. They don't have a concept for it in Japanese until the Americans get there and they say, oh, that's religion. Um, and then we can talk about like Peter Kolb, uh, when he goes down to South Africa and sees the koi koi and he observes them and he's like, everybody else had said, oh, they don't have any religion. But Peter Kolb says, no, they have religion because like they make sacrifices like the Jews do. They do this like the Jews do. Right. And so what you see is that this like Judaism and particularly Christianity is the the thing by which everything else gets measured. Right. And so we say, well, this is a religion because it looks like Christianity, right? Because it has a belief system and it has this or that, and it has a set of sacred texts, right? So, you know, people will say, oh, well, uh, like Hinduism doesn't really count as a religion because it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't have this or it does have that. Um, but when you, but the reality is there is no such thing as religion. There are, again, definite competing definitions. And typically these definitions, like there, people are interested in them, right? People have an interest in a certain definition of religion winning, particularly the kind of um, Western modern Christian version that gets to count, right? So we look at Islam and we looked at all the debate that's happened post 9-11, 2001. And immediately what you had people coming out and saying, and a lot of academics saying, this is not Islam. 
they do not represent Islam, right? And I've written about this a number of times with the president, with Obama using this terminology, right? ISIS does not represent Islam. They are not Muslims. Um, the problem with that is there is no such thing as Islam. So the idea there is, no, Islam is a religion of peace. Well, yes, maybe by the numbers, most people that profess to be Muslims are peaceful and they adhere to a certain interpretation. But that does not mean that the essence of Islam is peace, right? There is no reason, particularly from an outside perspective, that, and, and a lot of this just comes from my perspective as what I think we should be doing as a schol- as scholars, um, but we cannot judge between two different um, claims being made by insiders. That's just not our job. Instead, we should be looking at the claims that are made, how they're made, to what ends, and things like that. Uh, instead of saying, no, um, ISIS isn't really Muslims. Well, they say they're Muslims. So let's just give them that and then we'll move on. Like that's that's not really a point we need to discuss. Um, but let's look at why it's important for them to claim that they're, you know, the true Muslims, why it's important to them to claim that like, you know, well, we have the caliphate or whatever, right? Those are honestly, I think, more interesting things to look at anyway. So on the, on the political trail, when Donald Trump says, you know, those people that have come into the United States who have been living here illegally, are not true Americans and we need to send, you know, 11 million people back to Mexico or Central America. Um, is that kind of that same idea of making that distinction between, you know, a true American and a real American and yeah, someone is it, who's right. Cause it's, is it just someone who's lived here an X amount of time? Is it someone who has a, a certain piece of paper, right? With Ted Cruz, right? This is a good question. Um, or, yeah. Ted know. Cruz. Right. There you go. Yeah. Is he or, a, a Obama? Yeah. Well, I think Cruz is a more interesting mm-hmm. example um, I mean, you have the Obama. Well, yeah, because I'm a Democrat, but you have the you have the Obama example. But like Obama was born in an American state, right? Ted Cruz was born in Canada, right? This is not a disputed fact. Is, and so the question is: Is Ted Cruz a natural born citizen? Well, and yeah, we're gonna have you know legal theories on this and everything. But what matters? Like there there is no thing that exists that is a natural born citizen apart from people saying, no, it should be this, or someone saying, no, it should be that, or ultimately the Supreme Court saying, this is what it is, and he either does or does not count, right? So we're just making all of this up. And in making it up, we are creating the world. We are creating citizens, right? Because if you say, like, why is someone who happens to be born in point A, an American, and someone who happens to be born 10 miles south of point A and point B, not an American? I mean, it's completely arbitrary. Right. And that's the point of all of this is that all these definitions are completely arbitrary, but there is a lot involved in them. Right. So there is nothing. Right. So this is just a push against essentialism, essentially. Right. 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 But but, you know, kind of backtracking to when you say there is no Christianity, uh, people on the inside have claimed, you know, this is Christianity or this is real Christianity. Right. So, or, you know, this is the United States because we are a country of laws and we have these, we have this constitution that we hold up as a sacred text that defines, you know, our country as a thing. Um, And I guess it goes back to to where you're going earlier when I interrupted you about the the fights and the definitions and who wins and why they win. Um, So in in your studies, I mean, that that's Orthodox Christianity or, you know, as, as what, what, calls yeah. it. what comes to be called Orthodox Christianity, oh, right. or it calls itself Orthodox Christianity. Right? Proto-Orthodoxy, right. right. Which I also don't like for a number of right. reasons. Right? Because what you have to realize, particularly in that time period, everybody is calling everybody else a heretic. 
right? So everybody views themselves as this quote unquote orthodox, right? The same thing in the Republican Party that's going on right now, right? The quote unquote establishment says we're real Republicans. Mitt Romney says we're I'm a real Republican, but Donald Trump is not a real Republican. But Donald Trump and his supporters say, no, we're the real Republicans. The party has abandoned us and it's not listened to us for three decades. So who is it? Who's the real Republican? Well, that doesn't actually matter, right? But it is interesting to see this kind of fight going on, I think. I mean, so this is, yeah, I mean, it's what I'm interested in. So yeah, I would say, yes, there are insiders making claims to say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that's fine. Like, I don't, I have no need to take that identity away from you. I'm not going to. But also when you say I'm a Christian because I follow Jesus's example and he taught us to, you know, love the poor and to love our enemy and to help other people, that's why I'm a Christian. Then when somebody comes along and says, well, I'm a Christian because I think that we need to deport the uh, Mexicans and we need to ban Muslims from coming into this country and we need to have, uh, you know, a Christian nation. You can't say they're not a Christian, right? Because it's just separate claims that are being made and they're competing claims. Um, but... I don't know. That's what I think. No, yeah, that's that's good. I mean, it, it reminds me of Vikings. You know, like I I love my as, family's as do most things. <laughs> that's true. My family's from Denmark, so I, I you know the Harrelsons come come from there. Um, so when I think about you know just that name, like the Vikings never called themselves Vikings. <laughs> you know, that's a <laughs> yeah, that's a German nineteenth century conception. You know, with the Wagner, you know, flight of the Valkyries playing in the background. You know, Vikings didn't wear the horn hats um, that we see on the side of our football helmets in Minnesota. And the the idea that, that Vikings were these Scandinavian men and, you know, occasionally women who were raiders and they spent most of their time raiding Lindisfarne and, and these you know beautiful monasteries that were bastions of liberalism and hope and, and culture uh, in, in England. Uh, but then we see things like the Vikings, you know, or the groups we call the Vikings, uh, going east and going down into the Ottoman Empire or what became the Ottoman Empire, not the Byzantine Empire, I guess. I'm sorry. Um, you know, and, and interacting with the emperor in Constantinople and setting up what becomes basically Russia, you know, with Kiev and, and Novogorod and some of these larger cities on, on, uh, the rivers there in Eastern Europe. And we don't talk about that part of Viking history because it's not that romantic Wagner, right. you know, style. It, has, it of, doesn't of fit Right. It's not Leif Erikson sailing to Greenland, right? <laughs> right. Um, and and I, I I see that with my kids now too. You know, like my eight year old is is getting really interested in in identification. You know, and and I would I mean every kid goes through this I imagine, but we we joke about using the word poser on the show, but one of her friends wanted a Star Wars themed birthday party. And she was like, you've not even seen all the movies. You, you're such a poser. Like, I mean, she didn't say poser. <laughs> right. Yeah. But she was like, how could he want to have this? Like, he doesn't really even like Star Wars. I think that's just his dad that, you know, wants him to do it. And I was like, well, you know, that's not for you to figure out, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> go enjoy, you know, and then, you know, share, share your love of it with him. Um, but that, that really set her off. And I, I think about, you know, when I, I remember I was at vacation Bible school as a 13 or 14 year old or something, and we were standing on the steps walking in 
uh, to the church right before we had our big, you know, they had the big meeting at first and then you break off and go into your separate rooms. Yeah. But when you pledge allegiance to the Bible and you pledge right, allegiance right. to the American flag, <laughs> and, all right. Which, yeah, we talked about that. I'm not sure. <sighs> Light into my feet, a lamp to my path or something. And uh, I was arguing with this other 13 year old girl who uh, she had a Nirvana t-shirt on. And that really set me off because, you know, that was my thing. And I was like, you're, right. you're a poser, <laughs> you know, like, how dare you wear that? You know, you're, you don't, you don't like Nirvana and you're wearing it to, to Bible school. Really? Come on. <laughs> and she was like, I do like Nirvana. So I said, all right, we'll name a song besides <laughs> smells like teen spirit. And she couldn't do it. And I'll never forget. Like, that's the one time in my life where I really felt like a, a bully. You know, it's, it's like when we played a trivial pursuit with Danny Goodman, you know? And, uh, yeah. Um, so it's it's something that everyone does you know we all yeah yeah we all say no my beer tastes better or no you know this this brand of aluminum foil is better because of this and it's what marketing and advertising taps into uh, you know that lizard brain part of us that responds to you know branding messages um i, I think that's exactly right and i i mean this is part of why i have come to enjoy so much working in this area is because it is applicable to so many facets of life, but it's not just applicable to early Christian heresiology. Um, that just happens to be the topic that I tend to work on, but, you know, and this is, I think the benefit of reading good theory and stuff like that and whatever, um, is that, you know, I can, what I talk about, I know how what I'm interested in concerns other people and matters to other people, right? I can talk about it with regard to American politics. I can talk about it with regard to, um, you know, the rise of uh, Islam. I can talk about it with regard to, you know, Shakespeare studies. Like, it, you know, it's so, you know, it's that, it's that model or whatever. Um, but it is, and, and it's particularly... Um, it is, it's applicable. And I think it's, it's, you know, difficult for some people to grasp, um, particularly if they're like, Hey, you know, how do you say, I'm, you know, I'm not a Christian, which obviously is not what I said, but I know people will hear that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's interesting to me. And also it allows me in my class to often talk about politics too, which is, as we know, what I love. So <laughs> And we talked about politics without talking about politics. We did. So hopefully our listeners will be happy. We did some, I guess this is existential stuff. Um, we'll have a reading from Foucault next week. <laughs> um, maybe not. Well, do, you, but, do you think this is what Paul meant in Galatians? Was it Galatians 3? You know, yeah, 328. Neither Jew yeah. nor Greek nor slave nor free uh, nor male and female. Um, that's, a, that's a conversation for another show maybe. Um I'm not, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions about what Paul meant there. Um, he's certainly not trying to, he wants to overturn certain boundaries, right? So I, I like, he's not immune from this. Um, he, he is trying to redefine the boundaries, right? He's for one, trying to redefine what gets to count as Israel, right? He says no longer does Israel, you know, Israel is not based on your ancestors or a certain seed anymore. Now it's based on people who think that Jesus is the Messiah, right? I mean, he just completely says, no, I don't like that. I'm going to go with my definition instead. And you're surprised. No longer. You don't even, you know, you know, you no longer make the cut. Right. Um, but I am an apostle. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. I, I'm an apostle. No, I didn't, you know, hang out with Jesus or follow him, but I saw him. 
so I had this like vision thing. So I'm a better apostle than you are because what I teach comes straight from Jesus. Right. So it's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, it is identity politics. I mean, it's super rich. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's all through there. That scene at last temptation of Christ. Love it. Yeah. Where, you know, Jesus meets Paul and Paul says that. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Doesn't matter. I believe in the risen Jesus, not you. Yeah. But it's nice to meet you. And he just totally disses Jesus. And, yeah. you know, Jesus is so confused. But. Yeah, that exactly that right there. Yeah. Uh, good. All right. Great. Great show. We didn't we didn't talk about politics the whole time. Um, so we're going to we're going to wrap it up here. Um, we did not even talk about Super Tuesday results. So you're going to have to get that from somewhere else if we are your one stop shop for politics and primary results. God forbid. <laughs> yeah, God forbid, right? Yeah. Um, Spoiler, Trump won. <laughs> yeah. Um, then, yeah, you're going to have to do that. Also, follow us on Twitter. That is where the magic happens. Um, you can follow Sam at Sam Harrelson. You can follow me at Thomas Whitley. And you can always find more great podcasts at thinking.fm.